0: If I could ask everyone, please, to turn in a Bible to Genesis chapter 15. About 14 years ago, in the middle of the night, I received a nudge from my wife. I was clearly asleep. Both of the kids were asleep, but Tina was not someone else near our home was not asleep as well. She told me there's someone in the driveway next door in the garage with a flashlight moving around. And I wiped the sleep out of my eyes and I got up to go and, and see what was going on. And sure enough, there was the house dark, but there was someone with a flashlight moving all around the garage. So I observed for a time. And we made the decision together to go ahead and call the police, not a 911 emergency call, but if they had a cruiser that was nearby, if they could just send him. And sure enough, within just a few moments, a police car came and drove right in the driveway, put those big bright lights right on the person that was in the drive. And they came walking out, understanding the uh, severity of the situation. And they started to question this young man who was wandering around with a flashlight in the middle of the night. Well, that guy assured him. He said, well, this is my house, is what he said. And they went on to question him, and he went with some more explanation. He said, well, my, my wife and I are having horrible problems. She actually has a restraining order against me, but I, I work on cars, and I needed to get some of the tools out of the garage here, and that's why I'm here. Well, no one was in the house at that time. No lights popped on, even though a police car was right in the driveway with their lights going. And as this man found himself in a world of problems, the police officers gave a solution that would make everything okay. If what you're saying is true, if this is genuinely your house, do you have a key to the house? He said, well, I do. I do. I have it right here. And then they said, okay, take the key. Put it in the lock and turn it. And if you can open the door, all this will go away. He fumbled through his keys and he grabbed it and he, he found his place and put it in the lock and opened the door. They gave him some parting bits of advice after that and then they left. As you and I walk through this world, there are so many times when we are faced with questions So many times there are problems that we genuinely cannot get our own solution to. But there is one key. There is one key that if you and I will have a hold of that key, it will open us up to an answer for all the other problems of life. We're in Genesis chapter 15. We're continuing our study in the life of Abraham. We've learned from Abraham's successes. We've learned from his failures. And what we'll see in God's Word today is that of the multitude of questions that you fail to come up with an answer for in this world and the many problems, there is a key that God offers that will lead to a solution. We're going to learn again from the life of this man who was a man of faith, who loved God. And was the beginning. He was the beginning of God's plan to build a group of people, the Jewish people. And from that group of people would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And from Messiah would come salvation available to all mankind. So when we look at Genesis chapter 15, we're going to learn a couple of lessons here that are very practical for us today. The first thing that I see is that when we are tempted to panic... We need to trust God's promises. Is there ever a good time to panic? How would you answer that question? Is there ever a good time to panic? I was talking with somebody in my family not too long ago, and they said, oh, well, yes. If this happens and this happens, it's time to panic. And so I said, well, what do you do then when you panic? And they said, oh, maybe we shouldn't panic. Maybe we should act instead. Right away, we find a temptation for panic. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now we need to review just a little bit and see where Abram had just come from. In chapter 14, we find that he's fighting. He and his 318 trained men in his family had gone to rescue his nephew Lot. Lot had taken up residence in Sodom, and Sodom, along with four other cities, had been taken by four kings, and they took people away as prisoners. Abram reacts immediately. He goes out by night, divides his small group of soldiers into two. And they attack, and they send thousands and thousands of soldiers running. That's where Abram had just come from. And now God appears to him. The angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord says, fear not. It's interesting that when Abram was able to rescue Lot and these others that were in captivity, he was offered wealth. The kings wanted to give him wealth and reward, and he refused it. He did not want anyone to have the idea that he prospered because of another man. But instead, his prospering came from God. He says there in verse 1, Your reward shall be great. What a great encouragement. And then God begins his words to Abram with that two-word phrase, fear not. We've seen some firsts here in our study of the life of Abraham, haven't we? This is the first time in the Scriptures we find this phrase, fear not. And we're going to see it about 70 other times all throughout the Bible. What was he afraid of? I think it's common when an angel or an angel of the Lord appears to someone, it is common for them to be afraid. We see that in the Christmas story a couple of times, don't we? Fear not, the angel always says. So it could be that it was an appearance of God, but it might more possibly be this. There was a victory that he had just had over four kings. Now, remember, those four kings came and took the five cities because they refused to pay their taxes, their tribute to them. And so it's very likely that as Abram, who is a group of small people, he recognized God gave him the victory, but it could be that they would want to retaliate. Let's talk about fear for a moment. Do any of you struggle with fear? Fear can be one of the most paralyzing emotions that a human can face. The struggle of being so afraid. You're driven to a place where you're not making rational decisions. It's a place where nobody wants to be and nobody wants to stay. And some people just feel like fear is like a heavy, wet blanket on top of them. And they just can't kick it off. The University of Wisconsin did a study not too many years ago on fear. And you might be encouraged to hear that they found this as a fact. They said 40%, 40% of the things that individuals will fear actually never come to fruition. Almost half of the things that people are paralyzed by never actually happen. God reacts to the panic of Abram. He reacts to his panic by answering with a promise. He gives him a promise, I, I'm going to be your shield. You are going to have great reward. And so right away, we find that there is an answer for Abram's fear. So the fear might be gone, but the questions are not. That takes us to the next lesson, When we are perplexed in this world, trust God's promises. Our second point ends in the exact same way that our first point does. When tempted to panic, we said, trust God's promises. When we are perplexed, trust God's promises. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be heir? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, we remember the promise that was given back in Genesis chapter 12, that his family from Abram was going to be huge, and they were going to get a lot of wonderful blessing. But he mentions Eleazar here. Abram had been promised descendants, but he was in his 70s when he received that promise, and now he's in his 80s, and his, his clock is ticking, right? Oh, it doesn't make sense in our minds. Interesting that he notes Eleazar as the heir. If you, from what you know of our study so far, were going to say who was the closest person to Abram that might have inherited all of his stuff, I wouldn't have jumped right to Eleazar. Can you think of a family member who was pretty close to Abram who might get that? Who do you think it might have been? I would think Lot, right? The one he had just rescued. It's curious that he notes Eleazar. And God responds to panic with a promise. And now God responds to the questions. Before I finish, He doesn't give them all the answers. This is so important for us to learn this lesson. God does not give us all the answers, and that's what we want. But God does give us a prize. He gives us promises to hold on to that are based on His character, not based on our situation. And with those promises, we can get through anything. He responds to the panic. He responds to the perplexity. He gives the same promise that He had already given, but now He clarifies it. And now He even expands on the promise. Look at verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Basically, God takes him out. And in that day before the light pollution would block the stars and the moon, he takes him out and says, Look up. Just look up, Abram. Start to count them. This seems like a rhetorical question. I don't think he really started to count. He said, your offspring is going to be more than what you can see in stars. And oftentimes, God has to remind us just to be still, but not to stop with being still. Be still and know that I am God. I can remember years ago a uh, point in my life where I had so many more questions than answers. Have you, have you been there? Have you had the struggles? Have you scratched your brain trying to figure out what God is, is why He's allowing this to happen? And I can remember on a dark night just being out and walking and, and not having any of the answers. And I can remember just for some reason looking up into the dark sky And the stars were just plentiful that night. They were twinkling. And I said out loud as I was walking, oh, there you are. Was God present with me in my struggles? Yes, he was, but I couldn't see him. Sometimes God needs to remove us, take our eyes off of the immediate situation and remind us of how big he is that up there, my dad did that. He created all of that. And more important to him than all those stars is me. You are more important to him than all of the creation. Man is the jewel of his creation. Sparkle in his eye. And when we look at the promises of God, sometimes we understand that the uplook. Can help you better with the outlook. Now, we're going to skip verse number six. I'm going to come back to that. We're going to close with verse number six because this is a verse that should be underlined in your Bible and it's referenced several other times. So we're going to finish with that. Let me just make reference to verses seven through 20 of Genesis 15. I'm only going to make reference to it because the first time when we looked at the life of Abram, we actually talked about these verses. There was, 4,000 years ago, a tradition that they would go through to make a covenant. Now, if we're going to make a promise today, an agreement between two sides, what are some things that might take place? Well, if it's it's an informal agreement between me and you, what might we do to, to seal the deal? We might just, you know... Shake a hand, right? What if it's more serious than that? What if it's a little bit bigger? What might, in our day, we have to help us to keep uh, two people to keep the agreement? We might sign a contract. Well, several thousand years ago, they had, and this is going to seem weird, um, it's going to seem like something from another planet for some of you, but they had a tradition where they would have animals and they would divide them in two and set them on different sides, We covered this several weeks back. And the idea is is that both parties that were making the agreement would walk through the middle of those dead animals as if to say, if I do not keep my part of the agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Abram was familiar with that kind of agreement. It was a covenant. Now, there's a couple different kinds of covenants. There is a conditional covenant where something has to be done in order for the other person to keep up their side. And there's also an unconditional covenant. And that tradition would take a heifer and divide it in two, and a goat and divide it in two, and a ram and divide it in two. And that's what Abram did here. And then Abram has a deep sleep that he falls into. And then we find that covenant going on, but Abram did not walk through those animals with God. Instead, he sees in this vision, he sees a pillar of fire and he sees, um, I think it's a pot of smoke, move through that fire on its own with him just watching. So the idea is not there's two parts that are making the agreement and each has to keep their part. Verses 7 through 20 describe an unconditional covenant that God has made with man. So you and I do not have to do anything on our part to make sure we keep that and God can be out of the deal. It's an unconditional covenant. And at that point in Genesis 12, Abram was promised land. He was promised descendants. He was promised blessings. Now let's go back to chapter 15 verse 6. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I want to ask you to use your imagination with this verse here. You might even make a note next to this verse in your margin. I want you to imagine a string tied to this verse, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And I want you to imagine that string running to many places in the Word of God. This promise that God gave and the response of Abram is something that gets referenced again and again. In fact, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple places. Would you go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4 with me? We're going to see some of these references, a couple of them. Romans chapter 4. Now, while you're finding that, I just need to give this bit of information, all religions can be narrowed down to one of two philosophies. Every religion that man has ever experienced or thought of has come down to one of two philosophies. It is either depending on my own effort to bring me something, or else it's depending on God. Depending on what I do or depending completely on God. We're in Romans chapter 4. I want to read the first six verses. This is a reference to what we just talked about in Genesis 15. "'What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God.' For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, the one who works his wages are not counted as as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. God made Abram a promise. And the Bible says Abram believed. Would you turn over to Galatians chapter 3, please? In Galatians chapter 3, we find another reference. And by the way, most of the struggles that individuals will have can be traced back to this central promise of accepting God, um, God's salvation by faith. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse number 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "...in you shall all the nations be blessed." So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works... By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit of through faith. We also find in James chapter 2, that would be your homework for later on. Look up James chapter 2 and see the reference to the faith of Abraham. But if I could point us to verse 6 of chapter 15, this is a pivotal verse that explains that no one in this world will have fellowship with God unless they receive that by faith. Man is justified by faith alone. You and I cannot do anything to earn it. We cannot do anything to keep it. We are saved the same way Abram was saved. The only way that you can know that you have purpose in this life and the only way that you and I can have confidence that we will be with God in heaven after death is by tracing it back to this first person who God said, this is my promise to you. And Abraham believed. And you and I, we can work because we love God, and we can serve Him, and I hope you do. But the only way that God sees us as worthy is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ died and shed His blood for the sins of mankind. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just by faith. We accept it the same way that Abram accepted it. Now, it's probably not likely that many of you are going to find yourself in a dark driveway, surrounded by police, asking them, Do you have a key to the house? If so, open the door. It is guaranteed that you are going to face questions in this world that you don't have the answers for. And it is guaranteed that you're going to have days where you will just think, whether out loud or within, that's not fair. And it is guaranteed that you and I will be perplexed. And God does not promise to give us all the answers to all the questions that we face. But God does give us promises. All the promises of his word are for those who can trace their faith back to that original promise that God would keep. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then the floodgates open of all the promises that he makes to his children. It's guaranteed that you'll question, do I have any value in this world? It's guaranteed that when you come towards sickness or towards death, you'll ask the question, what happens after death? What can you and I do with a challenge like this? Well, in times of panic, we trust God's promises. In times when we're perplexed, we go to God's promises. And all of the promises in God's Word are tied to a promise in accepting Him. You see, God loves you so much that He sent His Son from heaven to die on a cross. He did not die for anything that He did. But He died for what Jeremy did. Jesus Christ died for your sins and what you did. And all of those promises that are going to sustain us through our journey are tied back to Abram believing. Do you believe? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we stand amazed in the position of grace. We thank you that we can receive something that we did not deserve, forgiveness, salvation. We thank you for the price that was paid, our Savior who was mocked and who was crucified, who was spit upon. And we thank you for what that means for us for eternity. And we thank you not only that we can think about heaven, but we can think about today. As the storm clouds roll in and as pain comes, We thank you for all the promises of your word and we trace those back to the base of accepting Christ. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful privilege of having help in times of trouble. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask the piano just to play through and I want to give you a chance to pray. It could be that you face a lot of questions that you don't have answers to struggles from pain and confusion. You might want to turn those over to the Lord and ask God to reveal some of His promises during this time. If you're here today and you've never taken that first step of faith, ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins because Jesus died on the cross. You can even in this moment say, God, will you forgive me a sinner? Make me your daughter. Make me your son. If the Lord is leading you to pray, just start to pray, and he'll help you through it. As we continue to pray, I'm going to ask the men to make their way to the front to serve community.